it felt like I was going to, it was getting into the spiritual now, like I was going to disconnect from the earth. If I were to move too much in the le- to the left or right, an inch too much, suddenly gravity wouldn't apply anymore. And I would just drift off into space. It was surreal. And you also felt incredibly powerful at the same time that you felt all this fear and like anxiety of being that high up. There's like just all of this like energy like flowing through you, like almost like from the rock. It was surreal. This is P. You're listening to Coffee and Banter, my podcast about stories of grit and resilience. Today I'm chatting with Pedro Sumariba. Pedro is a father, a veteran, and founder of La Caída. We'll be chatting about family and his journey from the military through business school to Walmart and entrepreneurship. So hi, Pedro. Thank you so much for joining me this Sunday, beautiful Sunday afternoon. I'm really excited to have you on here. Like like I was saying earlier, I feel like I haven't spoken to you in more than, what, four years now? So this is a, it's a bit of a reunion and then also like a, a recording of this episode. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, for sure, Fee. It's it's good to get back in touch. <laughs> so let's jump right in. How would you uh, introduce yourself to someone who just met you? Sure. So I'd say my name's Pedro Samariba. I am a father of three three young girls, husband to an amazing wife. I live in Springdale, Arkansas. We've been here now for four years, and I work for Walmart. So I'm a I'm a merchant there. I came to. Arkansas because of Walmart, um, originally for a finance position, and that was straight out of business school. So, right, got my MBA at Fuqua, and that's how we know each other. We're classmates. Prior to Fuqua, I was in the Army for six years. So I was a Green Beret and Army Special Forces. The first three of those six years were stationed in um, various parts of the eastern U.S., and then the last three were all in Okinawa, Japan, which is where we started our family. And, uh, And that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's awesome. Let's talk about how you grew up and what your family was like. For sure. Um, it was, a, you might say, unique upbringing in so much as we moved around a lot. Born in Atlanta, Georgia, and moved to Savannah two years later. And then after two, two more years, moved to Miami, Florida. And that's kind of been home base, uh, South Florida generally. We, we moved down to Miami, and then we were kind of in and out of there. So we first moved down to Sao Paulo, Brazil for a couple of years. So now we're talking like kindergarten age. And then I moved back to Florida, uh, to Fort Lauderdale this time, and that ultimately became like the true home base um, for some parts of like, I think, elementary school. And then middle school was in Mexico City, so sixth and seventh grade. Um, and then we came back to Florida, and that was like the last big move, you might say. Uh, which was for like high school and college. So I ended up going to the University of Florida there. Unique in so much as like, you know, exposure to different cultures, different languages pretty early on. It pros and cons there, right? Because you have to s- establish new friend groups everywhere you go. Um, you don't get to like really invest in long-term deep relationships, um, or at least it was challenging to. We're talking like pre-internet days, right? Pre-cell phones in some ways. But yeah, my dad was my dad worked for Pepsi and he worked for Clorox, so he was a consumer packaged goods guy, and that's what moved us around to all those places. I had a brother and a sister. I mean, I still have a brother and a sister, but I grew up with them. So that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, we all still keep in touch. My brother was just here visiting, and he's a, a biologist at the University of Florida. So we we obviously got out in nature and like we went on hikes, we went uh, fishing, uh, which was awesome, uh, and it was just great to see him with his nieces. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how I grew up. What did you study in college? In college, I studied psychology and finance to start. 
And then I dropped psychology freshman year, so pretty early on. And I was just a finance major for like two and a half, almost three years. And I started taking classes in Mandarin Chinese. And so like late sophomore, early junior year, I started to dual major and then ultimately finished with just a degree in Mandarin Chinese. So like my consideration set was the National Park Service and the military, like like a solid government job that allowed me to, in some capacity, use my Chinese skills. And obviously I went the military route. Interesting. So how did you go from college to joining the military? I think there's a few factors at play. In the background was the 2008-2009 financial collapse. And so that, that made me reassess it a little bit. But I think also in a rare moment of insight, I kind of I kind of was somewhat self-aware of what I was, which was like there to party, like in a fraternity, super immature, just not on a great trajectory either because, you know, with the party scene comes a lot of like substance abuse. And so I knew I was like, I'm kind of going nowhere. And so I knew I needed to make a change. And I thought like one good change would be like, why don't I go do something that's going to center me, ground me, like make me more, like humble me in, in a lot of ways. And I, <laughs> like I said, really rare moment of insight, but ended up being a really good decision because I, I think I needed that. I also had, I had been in China. I had done a semester abroad in Beijing. And I had read a book about actually Navy a Navy SEAL in Vietnam in the Vietnam War, and so that got me thinking about well, if I am going to do the military because I think I need to be grounded and humbled, maybe I should do something that's challenging and will keep me engaged. And I, I just kind of narrowed it down to Green Berets, given the kind of training they received and how difficult it was. So I think it was just as elite as say Navy SEALs, except you needed to go through a lot more training to. Uh, not just like physical demand, physically demanding tasks and, and, and tests, but also like you have to learn a new language. You have to learn like a skill set. Yeah, that's that's what guided me to it. And it was it was a acrimonious like conversation with my family. This was the height of the war in Afghanistan or near it. And they were like, you're going to go overseas and get blown up. And, like that, you know, so they were all concerned for my well-being as as I would be, you know, for a relative. But I was like, I need this. I need to like break from what I've been doing and do something radically different. I need to change. So that was that was that life choice. Before we go further, where did you meet Emily? So it was uh, 2012. I was already a year and a half, two years into my three years of training uh, for special forces. So I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. She was at what is it, UNC Pembroke. We met at a country western bar. Yeah, the, the rest of the night is history. So so your time in the military, you said six years. What was the most challenging part of that for you? That's a good question. Because there's a lot, right? Like, in a sense, I gave up my 20s. The hardest part was for sure family. Emily and I dated for maybe a year and change before we got married. And then only like three to six months later, we relocated across the world together. So we life happened fast for us in that sense. And so we get over there and like, honestly, it was kind of a good situation in a lot of ways, even though we weren't near family, we didn't need to be because we had each other and we had Asia like to explore. But what threw a curveball was when we got unexpectedly pregnant and so we decided to just kind of bail on all of our grand ambitions to tour Asia. We did get a couple of baby moons squeezed in. So we got to go see Taipei for four days uh, in Taiwan and Chiang Mai in Thailand. I mean, that's how we got to see Asia a little bit. I mean, I was there a month, gone a month, you know, Philippines, Nepal, Thailand, and she was doing all the child rearing, like when I was gone. So you can imagine, you know, being a first time mom in a country where you don't speak the language, 
you have no real established friend group, especially if you're introverted, uh, which which Emily would, would agree that she is. And there's no family. That was the single hardest part was keeping it together as a family long enough to like make the life transition out of the military. So you and I met in Fuqua, which was after the military. What drove that transition? I was taking my GMATs in in Okinawa. I was interviewing in Tokyo. Yeah, it was it was like very clear in my mind. Like that's what I'm gonna do. I need to like shoulder responsibility and and, and also just afford a certain lifestyle I wanted, right? There's some ambition mixed in there too. So I knew I wanted to do something that would give me an immediate return on my investment for time and money without incurring a tremendous amount of debt. I was fortunate to use the GI Bill for the whole thing. What part of Fuqua is most memorable for you? Obviously having kids, and we had a, we had our second daughter, Penelope, during second year. We we weren't part of the, like, we didn't take full advantage of the social life. I'd say maybe 10% of what was available to do did we actually do over there. And so my fondest memories are more of the just spending time together as a family and hanging out with the other students with, with kids. Uh, I remember one thing in particular. So there was, there's a museum, right, where the, the family, it's, the, it's more of like a, like a living history museum because it was the old like farm site and it was like one of the major tobacco families of the area, I think. Anyway, the, their homestead is now a museum. And so it's like a history of tobacco and North Carolina and industry and all that kind of stuff. And what was really cool is they used to do these like Christmas and Halloween like festivals and they would go super old school, like back to the days of the farmstead. They would bring back all these like storytelling techniques and like activities. So you wouldn't just carve pumpkins, but you'd carve like some other gourd. The whole premise being like, this is what they used to do back then. They didn't actually carve pumpkins because those were too valuable or something. Like they carved these like gourds that you couldn't eat. And that was what was fun. I was like, just, oh, that's cool. I had no idea that that's where the tradition came from. And so there's like a lot of cool insights like that. And so Fuqua was transitioned to Walmart. You said you joined initially for finance. What do you do right now? Yeah, I'm a senior merchant. I'm a, a month and a half as we record this into my new job. Is your experience at Walmart everything that you kind of expected it to be, especially being that that was like your first foray into like corporate America outside of the military? I mean, it is generally what I expected it to be. I didn't fully appreciate it for what it was. I'll say that too. Until I, So I left Walmart. I had gone to work for Marshalltown. Uh, They're a manufacturer of concrete tools and masonry tools. And I spent a year there in procurement. That was an eye-opening experience. Um, it's afforded me an incredible balance of work and life. I'm able to to be there for birthdays. I'm able to plan out family trips. I can take time for myself, especially in this new environment where we have work from home. I'm like more flexible than ever to to be a good father and a, and a, and a decent, I'd say, husband. Because <laughs> part of that freedom also allows me to do all my side hustles. Like the company has started, the real estate properties I've invested in, I wouldn't have been able to do that, I don't think, had I chosen a more time-intensive or highly competitive work environment field. I don't see myself going anywhere else anytime soon. I could see a long career stay at Walmart. So that's a good segue. So let's talk about the company you started. La Caida. It comes from the Spanish La Caida, which is translates to the fall because it's a rock climbing rope company, or at least that's what it started as. I mean, its true roots go back to September of last year. And so I tried to buy this inventory of rope. Here's this like product category that it's aligned to what I'm personally interested in. And I can get these ropes from China where there is a, a facility that's certified, you know, manufacturing site. 
And so I bring in this rope and A, it's like too thick. Like the, the market has trended towards, it's trended skinnier and skinnier. And so I bought this 10.5 millimeter thickness rope that like people weren't like interested in it. Add to that a psychological hurdle in buying something that was made in China, even if it is certified. And so it didn't sell at all. It's a complete disaster. And so that made me think like, how do I innovate on this idea and not get burned again and bring something to market that people would actually be excited about and willing to try? Enter the concept of metered rope. I had a lot of ideas like, well, let's put designs or graphics on the rope and make it look cool. I had a mentor at that time who's designed products for all these big outdoor brands. And he told me, Pedro, you have a life's like a life-saving product here. It's a safety product. You need to play to its strengths and make it safer, not cooler looking. Out of all the ideas you've told me about, the only one that makes sense then is like the idea of adding meter markers to the rope because it can help with rappelling. It can help with rope management. It can help with measuring the height of a route if you're going to like bolt it or like establish it for sport climbing, et cetera, et cetera. All these different use cases, that should be what you do. So that's what we did. We filed the patent. At the same time, fee, there was an incubator that was launching up here in, in Northwest Arkansas. It was funded by the Walton Family Foundation, managed by the University of Arkansas. It's called the Greenhouse Outdoor Rec Program. We got into that. And so with that came connections to like uh, law offices that could help with patent filing, local social marketing firms, all the connections, all the mentorship. That was a huge jumpstart. I'd say it put us four to five months ahead of where we would have been had I just tried to research everything on my own and fumbled through it. Also, it came with $15,000 worth of grant money, no equity asked. So that got us through the patent phase. It helped us like get insurance and all that kind of stuff. And then we took on an angel investor, significantly more than the 15K. And that was really awesome because it allowed us to like move into the phase we're at now where we have national recognition. We sold a few ropes, you know, more than a few. We would need to move into some national sort of retail channel, whether that's online through Moose Jaw or backcountry.com or brick and mortar with REI. We need to we need to make a play like that if we're going to stay viable. And so with that comes all these additional hurdles. Like I'll just say that there is a lot of bureaucracy as there should be. As there should be a lot of regulation for rock climbing equipment, right? It's all meant to save your life. What I realized, and this is maybe where the merchant role experience became a benefit, I needed to expand my my products into other categories. So we're going to launch a new product next week. It's a rope tarp. It's an adjacency. It makes sense. As a, as a product goes, a necessity. You know, it's like the butter of the climbing world. Like All that to say, if you look at the market for that, you have Petzl, Camp USA, Sterling, Metolius, and there may be one or two others that have products out there in rope tarps. It's not a, it's not a very competitive area. All of those other competitors, they have a black or a gray or a, a monochromatic tarp, and then they put their brand name on it. Like, that's it. So it seems like a really easy win. Like they, they sell for 30 to 40 bucks, 20, well, 20 to 40 bucks. Um, they're high margin because it's just a piece of fabric and uh, they're a great promotional tool as far as your brand goes. So we collaborated with Kika McFarlane, who is a designer. She's designed shirts for Patagonia. At her core, she's a business owner, like an entrepreneur and an artist. And so we commissioned three designs from her. They are all basically like a view to a rock climbing area here in Arkansas. We bill ourselves as a local company. We try and focus local wherever we can. This is one of those efforts. So we have three rope tarps that are going to come out, each one focused on either Sam's Throne, Horseshoe Canyon Ranch, or Candy Mountain. For the next two designs, we worked with another female business owner and entrepreneur, Latasha Dunstan. One focused on BIPOC inclusivity in rock climbing, in the sport of rock climbing, and another one focused on LGBTQ. 
inclusivity in rock climbing so that we're not just putting another product out there that yes it looks cooler yes it's a little bit more value add it's more exciting but it's something that like people would identify with it's almost like a, a little flag if you will that like raises the call to inclusivity in rock climbing which is definitely not traditionally speaking an inclusive sport in the sense of like who you saw doing it in the 90s early 2000s 80s and, and, and early so you mentioned earlier like you know walmart helping you and providing the opportunity to be the kind of dad that you want to be. I think the exact words you used was like, be a good father. What does that look like for you? It's it's a it's a really, I mean, huge responsibility, not just for their like, you know, the things that we would all consider, I think, before we have kids, like education, feeding them the right foods, that kind of stuff, but also like, like mental well-being. Like, how are they interacting with their fellow human beings? Is it in a way that I'm proud of? I think for every parent could sympathize with this. It's a fear to see like your own character flaws coming across in the way they interact with other people. And so like, how do I fix that? Because I have to also fix myself at the same time. Like, first of all, like I was like, I was like jumping at the, like at the starting line. Like, how do I get them involved in rock climbing? How do I make them like enjoy the things that I enjoy? It's like, well, you know, like this whole parenting journey is not an extension of me. I can introduce it to them and maybe it'll take and it, and it does, like they enjoy it. But Alice really found her calling, as far as athletic exertion goes, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. She's inherently good at it. She can be super aggressive and that really works to her advantage in that sport. She's also strong and like, she's just good at it. She also has been in a, a theater troupe uh, a couple times and she really enjoys that. Penelope is much more into, into fashion, like straight up shoes, clothes, makeup. That is what she loves. And there's opportunity. So perfect full circle here. When I started working on the designs for the tarps, I started working with a local nonprofit called Interform. They're right here in Springdale. Guess what? Also funded by the Walmart Family Foundation. And their mandate as an organization is how do we make sewn trade an industry in Arkansas? So I work with a guy named Richard Cotto there. Awesome guy. And what's really cool is like, you know, I'll go over there to work with him on the designs and it's basically a working design studio. So they have artists and clothing designers, interns working the floor, like sewing stuff up. So I got to take Penny to that and be like, this has nothing expressly to do with rock climbing. It's more of a business meeting. She was very much thrilled to be there. And Richard was like, well, you know, our internship program starts at 13. I was like, perfect. And he was, he was talking, he was like, Penny, you want to come make dresses with me? And she was like, overjoyed. It was awesome to see. And then Lula's too. And it's been a journey, right? Like I w- I've been a better father. To, it's, it's sad, but true to each one in succession because I made mistakes and I learned from those mistakes with their older sisters. So with Tallulah, it's a lot of just indulging, right? Like babying her, being extra patient, you know, cause she's learning to talk. She's learning to walk. Like you, you can't expect good behavior from a one, two, three year old, maybe, maybe three. That's what being, being a dad is. And, and like being a part of their lives and helping them to be better people. And then of course, between Emily and I, just managing the the givens, food, shelter, education, clothing, all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. I'm going to transition to the very last part of this, which is my 10 random questions. And it's literally just a a bunch of random questions. I'm just going to read out. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. It's supposed to be as, the answers are supposed to be as random as the questions are. So are you ready? Awesome. I'm I'm ready. What is your favorite climbing spot? Favorite climbing spot? Moab, which is not in Arkansas, but Moab is super special to me. That was my first kind of trip for rock climbing, right? So like I put time, PTO, 
dollars on a trip to go climbing and it was like driving to the surface of mars like it's everything's like red and purple and it's this desert landscape with these rocks the enormity of which i can't convey accurately through words except to say that they impressed upon me this like feeling of just how small right we all are as human beings ale of these cliffs is insane and there's one round particular that's called ancient art it's basically a tower much as you'd imagine a tower to be but purely made of stone so you go up 400 feet up this tower and at the very top feet you you get to this platform where it just becomes more progressively more narrow and you're just walking across this platform and then you get to you get to this bridge of stone that is no more than like maybe a foot wide maybe less in some parts and you have to walk across that no hand just you and you're 400 feet in the air mind you like you're walking across this bridge that's a foot wide for like eight to nine feet you get to the other side and you have two options one you can do what's called the diving board where you like much like if you were to grab yourself up onto a diving board and like hoist your you have to jump and hoist yourself up which was way too nerve-wracking for me so i like didn't do it or you could go to the left and that is precarious in and of itself just because it's like very difficult climbing to go around the diving board it's much easier to do the diving board and then you but anyway long story short you get to the top after the diving board after all that and the very top of the tower is a point no larger than a manhole so you're standing on this manhole sewer cover t- sized platform with a f- sheer 450 foot drop depending which side you're looking at 400 to f- maybe even 500 feet drop on a, on all sides and you're overlooking this massive valley and it was just like i don't know kind of uh, I, i'm not i'm not big on talking about like spirituality but that was a spiritual moment for sure it was insane yeah my face kept going from like astonishment to wait why, why are you doing this i would have yeah it's a great question i asked myself that a few times on my way up cuz i had never climbed multi pitch before this and i'd never done any of that but bailey had and i trusted bailey to keep me alive So he he led the route and I followed him up but for that last pitch I mean and it really was a, like kind of um uh an honor if you will to he was like do you want to lead the last pitch and I was like yes I do and so I got to stand on top and like have this existential moment I feel like I picked the best first question what is something you'd never do again Ooh there's a lot there Oh I know I will never have another kid <laughs> and like we love having kids i think you that came across in earlier question and answers but we are very interested excited about planning aggressively towards our not just retirement but like our empty nesthood where we can travel again where she can come with me to moab instead of staying home with the kids and kind of do stuff together like that's that's been a huge challenge over and above just parenting is keeping preserving our relationship and our romance and our like dynamic and like sharing experiences together just the two of us like it used to be what is something or someone that always makes you laugh that always makes me laugh that is fun Th- them yeah cuz that's all you can do right like that I got paid you got paid yeah awesome i got i got these this is the art table yeah them <laughs> cuz that's that's all you can do there you go Okay, what is it? What is a song you have on repeat? <sighs> kind of anything by Drake. I don't know. Maybe 0 to 100. Anything that's like very motivational in an aggressive sort of way. That's like, all right, having my morning coffee. I got like a 
$2 million negotiation at three o'clock. I need to nail that. Like, and I'm just, I need to get psyched, motivated in the zone. What's that COVID hobby you picked up? Maybe that's where I digress from like most people. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't, you know what? Like it wasn't necessarily because of COVID, but it was very much from that time frame. I started really looking into passive income streams. And so real estate investing, I read a few books on it uh, all during 2020. And then by like the end of 2021, no, but like mid 2021, I, I went out and just bought a property. It's near Horseshoe Canyon Ranch, again, rock climbing. And my whole idea was like, I'm not only going to use this strategy where I'm going to buy it, remodel it, rent it out, refinance, and then repeat. I'm going to do it instead of just renting it on a yearly basis as a short-term rental Airbnb that I can use when I see fit. And, um, well, the legalities, I, 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 did, I didn't do my due diligence on the legality. So it's a short-term rental right now. It's, it's, it's doing really well, but yeah, cool. What's your favorite thing to eat? Kind of like anything Emily cooks, to be honest, like she's, I'm, I'm so lucky. Um, she makes the best, the best food, but I'd have to say if it was like one dish, right. Which I think is, uh, I think it would be poke. Um, that was one thing that we took from Japan. Tuna's fine, but like salmon poke, the way she makes it. I mean, it just never gets old. Like I could eat that every week and never get tired of it. What's your favorite season? That's tough. I like the fall though. Cause it's my favorite holiday is Halloween and that's in the fall. And I love all the fall activities, like the festivals, especially here. But one thing that the kind of like mid Southern Midwest does really well is fall festivals, like pumpkin patches and stuff. They're on a scale that like is not an exaggeration, like 20 X anything I saw in North Carolina, even what's a book or a movie you'd never forget. I'm definitely going to go with book. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is like how to win friends and influence people. It, life has been a constant journey for me in terms of like my interpersonal relationships. And so that book kind of like cut straight to the, the gist of a lot of things like try to use people's names, like smile and bring good energy because people respond to it, even if it's difficult to do. Like um, it's it's one of the few books I've also reread. But if I was going to say the most memorable and like life changing and like, I, just, I mean, it's definitely the Harry Potter series. That I, whole series I've reread like three or four times. What would the title of your biography be? Don't quit. Like that was a mantra in Special Forces. And, and to your earlier question about like, what was the hardest thing? Like, yes, maintaining a family life was. But also, and the more common answer I've given in the past has been like selection phase and like the grueling, physically demanding stuff that I had to like break my body in half to do. But just not quitting. Like that was the mantra that got me through all that. But it's also kind of been a mantra for like, parenting and keeping your marriage alive like just don't quit like ne like never stop putting forth your best effort cool okay my very last one what's your secret sauce what if other people answer that? uh my, my my secret sauce i'd say maybe i didn't really realize it until much later in life like kind of these past four years post b school honestly coming out of that like learning to be like vulnerable and realize like i need to take time and space for me and my mental health or my physical health and like focus on not just doing everything for everyone, you know, in my family or in my friend group or at work or whatever, but just like, you know, what am I going to do today that makes me feel refreshed and renewed? And so that's my secret sauce is like learning to take time for me and just me and, and being a little selfish with my time. Like that's, that's totally fine. And it makes me a better person and better to be around. Like it just makes me better and more successful. Awesome. This has been really fun. I'm 
so glad that we got to do this and i just want to say thank you thank you for making time to chat with me thank you for sharing your story the different parts of it i've totally enjoyed this and i'm just looking forward to sharing this with everybody else thank you so much for you. this was this was super fun from my end thank you for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did be sure to subscribe to coffee and banter wherever you listen to your podcasts be good to yourself and to those around you